This message is brought to you by Croydon Tabernacle, a part of the Redeemed Christian Church of God. Our mission is reconciling the individual, community and the nation to God. Be blessed as you listen. Now, I want to share a message that I believe will help someone here tonight. How many of you came expectant? Can I see your hand? All right. I want to share a message this afternoon when I started preparing to come and speak because God told me years ago that if he's sending me to a place, he'll give me a word. You see, how do I know God is sending me to a place when he gives me a word? If he does not send me to a place, he will not give me a word. I remember one of our pastor's wife was dying in the hospital and I was asking God, should I go or should I not go? He said, don't go. I said, but don't you know what people would say? He said, okay, if you want, go. And when you get there, they will ask you, what is the word of the Lord? What will you say? He says, so if I don't give you a word, you're not going there. So God has sent me here tonight with somebody in mind. I don't know who that person is, but I want to encourage you with something that I know will go a long way. James, the general epistle of James, chapter 1. The general epistle of James, chapter 1. I'm reading from verse 2 to 4. General Epistle of James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this that the trial of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, one thing, nothing. By the grace of God, for a few minutes, the title of my message will be Before You Say Yes. Think twice. Before you say yes, think twice. Before you say yes to that job opportunity, before you say yes to the doctors to go ahead and operate, before you say yes to that door of career that opens, before you say yes to relocating away from where you want to relocate to, think twice. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for the privilege we have as we come into your presence, we come with open heart, receptive spirit. Thank you for the word you are going to sow in our hearts that is going to give us faith and the persistence and perseverance to hold fast to whatever you have spoken to us about till we see the physical manifestation. We give you glory and praise for the lesson we are going to learn and for the way we are going to inculcate them and put them in our lives and we bring profit and results that are positive. We give you glory and praise. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. After 36 years of being a Christian, and 33 years of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, I can say without any fear of contradiction that God does not want us as Christians to lack. He doesn't want us to lack any good thing. God has made a commitment to make sure that our needs are met, our desires are fulfilled, and our expectations are granted. God has an elaborate plan that you and I should lack nothing. You and I should lack nothing at all. Let me start by defining the word lack. What is the word lack? What does it mean to lack something? What does it mean to lack something? To lack can be defined as a situation or a condition where something or somebody 
that you need or require because of their importance or usefulness is not available at all to you or it's not available in the quality and quantity that you can refer to as enough. It is a situation and condition, I'm going over it again, where something or somebody that you need or require because of their importance or usefulness to you is not available at all or it's not available in the quality and quantity that you can define as enough. So God does not want us to lack. And I want to quickly give you six reasons why I believe God doesn't want us to lack. I want to make my presentation straight like the book of Mark. You know, in the book of Mark, 16 chapters, it still covered the entire ministry of Jesus Christ. So what are the six reasons why I believe God doesn't want us to, to lack? Number one, when you look at the creation of the world, you discover that there was nothing that God created without, first of all, creating what that thing will need to succeed and to survive. Before he made man, he made everything man was going to need. And he put man in the garden and said, of, the, he said, of every tree that is in the garden, you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat. For in the day that you eat, you will die. So in creation... You will see abundance. In creation, you see provision. In creation, you will see supply. In creation, you will see that God put man in the garden, not in the bedroom. And in that garden, there was everything and every all things that man will need. I was telling somebody recently that I discovered that whenever a baby is born into the world, everything that baby will ever need to become everything that baby can be physically is already in that baby. It's there in a potential form. So provisions have been made for man not to lack. Even in creation, provisions have been made for man not to lack. So that's the first reason. Whatever man was going to need, because of their importance or usefulness, have already been provided for in man. And in the creation, you will see that this is clearly, clearly indicated. Number two reason why I say God doesn't want us to lack is because of scriptures that talk about the fact that God does not want us to lack. Psalm 34 verse 10 says, although the young lion do suffer and lack, he said, but they that seek the Lord will not want anything good. Psalm 84 verse 11, the Lord is a son and a shield. He will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. 1 Corinthians 3.21 says, all things are yours. Romans chapter 8 verse 32 says, He that spared not his only begotten son, but gave him for us, how will he not together with him give us all things? So not only in creation, do you notice that provisions have been made for us, but even scriptures talk about the fantastic provisions of God for you and for me. Psalm 68 verse 19 says, He daily loaded us with benefit, even the God of our salvation. When you read Psalm 103 from verse 1 to 5, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Who forgiveth thy iniquities, who healeth thy sicknesses, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crown you with his loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfy thy mind with good things, so that thy youth is renewed as the ego. So even in scripture, scriptures tell us 
that he does not want us to lack. He does not want us to lack any good thing. Anything that is called good is what God does not want us to lack. In creation, look at it. Genesis 1.3, Genesis 1.6, Genesis 1.9, Genesis 1.11, Genesis 1.14, Genesis 1.20. What does the scripture say? And God said, let there be. And God said, let there be. And God said, let there be. And by the time you read Genesis 1.4, Genesis 1.10, Genesis 1.12, Genesis 1.18, Genesis 1.21, he said, and he saw that it was good. So in creation, you can see God doesn't want us to lack. In scriptures, you can also see that the scriptures tell us about the fantastic provision that have been made available for us. The word of God says in Psalm 81 verse 10, I'm the Lord that brought you out of Egypt. Open your mouth and I will fill it. So God is a satisfier of his people. He does not want us to lack. Remember, my definition of lack means a situation or a condition where something or somebody that you need or require because of their importance and usefulness to you is not available at all to you or in the quality or quantity that can be defined as enough. Number three reason why I say God doesn't want us to lack is that the people before us under the Old Testament, you can see the provision he made for the children of Israel. He made fantastic provision for the children of Israel. When they were coming out of Egypt on their way to the promised land, look at the provisions he made for them. Manna was dropping from heaven. He was giving them day by day their daily bread. We are told in Deuteronomy chapter 2 verse 7, you find this again repeated in Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 21, that they lacked nothing. When God was giving the children of Israel a land that they called the land of promise, Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 9 says, in that land of promise that was taking them to, they lacked nothing. By the time also you, don't, you read Deuteronomy 11, 12, it said the land of promise was a place that drinketh water out of heaven upon which the eyes of the Lord is from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. You can see that. He made provision, fantastic provisions for people before us, the children of Israel. You and I are the Israel of the New Testament. But the Israel of the Old Testament, you can discover that he made provisions for them. So you and I are the Israel of today. If God treated them like that, what do you expect of those of us upon whom the end of the world has come? He made fantastic provision for those before us so that you and I can understand that he doesn't want us to lack. He made enough provision. When the children of Israel were going through the, promised, going through the wilderness for 40 years, even in the suffering that they are suffering for their sins, the Bible says their clothes did not grow old. Their shoes were not old. They didn't need a cobbler. There are no cobblers in the wilderness, no tailors. As we are growing, their clothes were growing with their body. Some people believe that, well, if my need grew, how can I be able to survive? That's why some families don't have more than two children. They believe that with three or four children, then their finances will not be able to handle it. Forget that. When you are dealing with God, grace is always there. To always grow in provision as your family is also growing. <laughs> You know, you have to trust God for that. <laughs> because in the first world, especially, ah, I can't have more than two children. How will I take care of them? I know a pastor here in London that I met years ago. He had nine, nine children here in London. I went to a program and I saw that everybody looked alike. And I asked, who is this? They said, that's, that's Pastor so-and-so, and that, those are his children. Today, he lives outside, probably in a place known as Buckinghamshire, with a house with a golf course at the back of it. All the nine children have become success. And they bought this land, and they built this house for that man. 
You know, children are not a source of deprivation. If you believe in the grace of God, God will not give you a gift. The blessing of the Lord make it rich. And children are the blessing of the Lord. Hallelujah. You, you may be shaking your head at my divinity or my theology and say, why are you saying, man, get out of here. No, you can't. You can't even be saying. But what I'm saying is this. Let's begin to look at things in the light of the word of God. I mean, Jacob had how many children? Twelve. And all of them were success. You know, Isaac never had more than one or two of them. One was a rascal. The other one was a good one. But Jacob had 12. And all of 12 of them became very elaborate and very blessed. You know. And so we must understand the principles of God's word. Well, let me go on here. I don't want to be controversial. <laughs> the third reason is that I said, God, God does not want us to lack because of the way he treated people before us. The fourth reason why I say God doesn't want us to lack is because of his plan in redemption. Do you know what the redemption, the New Testament is about? The New Testament came to take, to take, uh, to take control of what the Old Testament could not provide. There were certain things with the richness of the Old Testament that it could still not provide. So the New Testament came in order to provide whatever other need of man that the Old Testament could not handle. In the plan of redemption, look at what the word of God says. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. We all know the grace of Christ. How though he was rich, he became what? Poor. So that we through his poverty may be made rich. Galatians 3, 13 says, Christ have redeemed us from the curse of the law. Be made a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone that hang on a tree, that the blessings of Abraham may come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, and that we may receive the promise of the Spirit by faith. We sing the song, Abraham's blessings are ours. Have you ever read Deuteronomy chapter 28 from verse 1 to 13? That is what we call Abraham's blessings. You know, I like it when he said, and it shall come to pass. If that, that really happened to the voice of the Lord your God to keep his status and obey his commandment, that these blessings will do what? Run after you and overtake you. I always tell people, what is running after you? Blessing. Say, oh no, it's the, my, mother's, uh, my mother's rival. She's running after me. We are so conscious of what the devil is doing. We are not conscious of what God is doing. John 10, 10 says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. Say, but I am come that you may have life. We are talking always about the thief. Even some prayer meetings are directed more at the devil than at God. You're always trying to deal with the devil. Devil, devil, go ahead. In one church, I went there and all the prayer was about the devil. And I said, when are we going to pray to God? <laughs> We've been pushing away the devil, resisting him, casting him down, throwing him down, uprooting. Now let us begin to build and plant. We spend enough time talking about the devil. Let's, talk, let's begin to talk about how we're going to... So God doesn't want us to lack him. That's, it's in the redemption plan. This is an redemption plan. He redeemed us from what the Old Testament could not redeem us from. He made provisions for us that the Old Testament could not make provisions for. So become conscious of that. He doesn't want me to lack. If I have a situation of lack, then how do I deal with it? Let me give you two more reasons why I say God doesn't want us to lack. Number five reason is because of the consequences of lack. The consequences of lack are very painful consequences. Listen to this. He said, although the young lion do suffer and lack. So what does lack make us do? Suffer. When someone lacks, they suffer. When something or somebody, because of their importance and usefulness to you, is not available to you, or in the quality and quantity that you can call enough, you suffer. You suffer. 
you know. So God doesn't want us to suffer. Christ has suffered for us so that you and I can enter into a rest. There remains a rest to the people of God. Which means through Christ's suffering, it will be double true, but for me also to suffer. He came to put away suffering. He came to comfort, to strengthen me. He said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. He said, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly enough, and you will find rest. If we don't find rest in Jesus, where will we find it? If we don't find rest in his provision, where will we find it? So he doesn't want us to lack because of the effect of lack. You know, so many years ago, I read that scripture, Psalm 34, verse 10, he said, although the young lion do suffer and lack. Then I said, probably it's because they are young lions. That is why they suffer and lack. Then later I read Job 4, 8, 11. He said, the old lion perish for lack of prey. So lack does not only make you suffer. What does it do? It makes you perish. You know, so it's important for us to get things in perspective. God doesn't want us to lack because of the consequences of lack. Listen to this scripture. Hosea 4, 6. He said, my people are destroyed for lack. It's still a lack. Lack of knowledge is still a lack. Lack of wisdom is still a lack. You know, lack of peace is still a lack. Lack of joy is still a lack. And God doesn't want us to lack because of the consequences of lack. Number six reason why I say God doesn't want us to lack is that God does also does not want us to lack because when you see in scriptures the promise that God has given to people who do the right thing for those who lack, then you can see that God hates lack for his own children. You see, those who help those who lack, there is a promise for them in scriptures. The Bible says in Proverbs 19, 17, it says, He that giveth to the poor, lendeth to the Lord. God is concerned about those who lack. He said, and that which he gives shall be given back to him. But I like this one. Proverbs 28, 27. He said, he, he, he says, He that giveth to the poor shall never lack. Proverbs 21, 13 says, Whosoever keep quiet, at the, at the desire of a poor person. He said, he too will cry and nobody will listen. So you can see that God does not want you and I to lack. There's no reason for that. You see, because if you look all over the world, if you look all over the world, you see that there are lack. But is there no difference between us and them? In the land of Goshen, what was happening for the children of Israel was different from what was happening in the land of Egypt. God put in a difference. Malachi 3.17 says there shall be a difference between those who serve God and those who are not serving God. You see, you and I must have a perspective of heaven, no matter what is going on in this world right now. I live in the Lord and I live like a king. When I say live like a king, it is based on the perspective I'm sharing. I mean, Pastor Shei here has been in my house before. And I live like a king. Now, why was it so? You see, I had a choice so many years ago to leave Elorin and go to Lagos because we have churches in Lagos that are massive. I had a choice to leave Elorin and go to, um, to, go to uh, Abuja. Or we have a church, a church is in Abuja. I have the desire, I mean, I have a choice to go to Potakot. But you see, God told me like he told Isaac, stay where you are and I'm going to bless you there. It is not where you are geographically located. I remember in 1989 when I came to England for the first time. And people enjoyed by me. They said, ah, come to England. Ah, come here. Ah, come now. Ah, this is the time to come now. Ah. I, said, I said this to people. I said, being in England does not make you prosper than I prosper being in Illinois. I have an Olympic swimming pool size at the back of my... You saw my swimming pool. 
In the back of my house, I wake up 2 o'clock, I jump into the swimming pool. How many of you can wake up in summer 2 o'clock and jump into the swimming pool? I'm not talking about this time of the year. <laughs> I mean, God, God, you see, and God promised me then that, listen to me, it is not who you know on the horizontal level that matters, but who you know on the vertical level. He said, connect to me, and I will supply your need according to my riches in glory. So, your need can be met from heaven, not by the economy of the world. Your need will not be met by the economy of the world. If you focus on the economy of this world, your heart, you have heart attack. The Bible said that's one of the things that will be killing many people nowadays. Luke 21, 26, it says, men's hearts shall fail them for fear. <laughs> for looking upon those things that are coming to pass in the world. The powers of the heaven shall be shaken. But Luke, uh, Luke 21, 28 says, when all these things begin to happen, lift up your heads and look up. He said, because your redemption drawing near. You need to learn how to look at the person you need to look at. If you look around, you will be despondent. If you look down, you will lose control. If you look behind you, you will be flabbergasted and marooned. But if you look up, 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says, and we all with open faces, beholding as the mirror of the glory of God, we are changed. So keep looking up, and the more you look up, the more the transformation of God's power becomes evident in your life. Ladies and gentlemen, remember I'm speaking on, before you say yes, think twice. When I gave my life to Christ, I want you to listen to me carefully. Because I had always been in occultism. You know, if you have been in occultism the way I was in occultism, <laughs> you'll understand that it's very difficult to be a Christian when you give your life to Christ. Some people are expecting you to, to backslide and come back. While some people are expecting you to be disgraced and ridiculed, because of your escapades when we are in the occult. Because I combine everything. I was in cult, I was in occult, I was black one, everything, blue, whatever. I was, I was everything, in every way evil. So when I came to the Lord, I asked God one simple question. I want you to tell me what you're able to do. You see, because some people always assume that the devil is not powerful, but it's a lie. Even Jesus said the devil is powerful. Luke 10, 19, he said, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and all the powers of the enemy. So the enemy have what? Powers. I went to a church and this man was leading the chorus. I was saying, Satan, power, powerless power. I said, be careful. Be careful what you are saying. I said, you can't say powerless power because God's power is bigger than the devil's power. Does not mean the devil is not powerful. If you know how the devil became the devil, I will tell you a little bit about it tonight. There was a revolt in heaven. And one third of the host of heaven supported the devil against God. If somebody can win 33, one third percent of the vote in heaven, leaving the God with 66, that person has power. I'm telling you this. And you see, I have been with the devil. I've seen the devil face to face. Many people, when they, uh, you see, they draw a picture of the devil, they, they, do, they, they have this picture of somebody with a horn. Mm -hmm. The devil is a beautiful devil. God has never created anything that is ugly. He, he was called the anointed cherub that covereth. I've seen him. It's not, in those days, it's not, I remember the first time I came here to France, Mount Alps. You know, you know, in the realm of the spirit, there are no distance. Some people say, I left Nigeria because the witch was pursuing me. You see, you cannot go far away and farther away from a witch pursuing you. What they normally do is that they, they have a network. If you leave, they pass your file to the witches. 
Yes, in the next place where you are located. It's a whole network. It's a web. You don't really go out of their presence. <laughs> I love Nigeria because there was a witch. Aha. You better deal with the witch because the witch is going to deal with you if you don't deal with the witch. He said, I have given you a lot to tread upon serpents, not to run from a serpent. He didn't say, pack your slippers and run. He says, flee fornication and all that, but when it comes to dealing with the devil, you have to face him and fix him up. Bind him with chains and fetters of iron. Execute the judgment that is written. That is what the word of God tells us. Put on the whole armor of God. That we're able to stand against the watch of the devil, not run away from the watch of the devil. So when I became a child of God, I went to God and said, I want you to really tell me how powerful you are. I said, because I've seen the power of the devil to some extent. Children are given to people, though they are not ordinary children. You know, money can be made available to you. Power and influence can be made available to you. And when I put my left leg on the wall of my room, and in five seconds, I find myself in France. No passport, no clearing of uh, immigration. I find myself, <laughs> what kind of a power do you think that is? That's power. But we are talking about, so I told God, I said, I want you to tell me how powerful you are. Tell me what you are able to do. Let me share this with you. So he told me, he said, take your pen and write down the following things that I can do. You see, when you are dealing with God, some of us are not. You see, when you, are, when you really know who God is and what he can do, your fears will melt. Because I wanted to set you into Christianity. People thought I wanted to test it and try it. And if it's not working, I will go back. So I said, so you have to convince me. Make me a candidate. I want to know what you are able to do. I was reading Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. He said, I want to him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think according to the power that works in you. I said, they said you can do excellent. What, what are you able to do? Just tell me. And he told me, he said, number one, I'm able to do whatever the word of God says I'm able to do. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25. He said he's able, he's able to keep you, he's able to, to save to the utmost they that come to God by him. He tells us in the scriptures, Philippians 3, 21, he's able to subdue all things. Job 42 verse 2, these I know you can do all things. So God says, anything that tells you what I'm able to do is an idea of what I'm able to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 8, is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you have sufficiency in all things, you'll be able to abound out of the good works. So God is able to do whatever the word of God says what he's able to do. Number two, he said again to me, he said, I'm able to do for you what man cannot do. Doctors are men. Lawyers are men. But there are certain things they can't do. With man, certain things are impossible. But not with God. Luke chapter 1 verse 37. He said, with God, nothing shall be impossible. There are certain things men cannot do. He said, I'm able to do what man cannot do. So you see, I remember so many years ago when my first son, Faith, he's now a grown-up man, about uh, 31 years old now. He had a problem with his, with his head. He was having this headache. Nobody knew where it was from at the age of, I think, about 14 or 15. And the doctors and the consultant told us that there was nothing they could do except to operate on the head. And I said, no, 15-year-old head is not, is not old yet to be operated upon. It's still a brand new head, 15 years. The doctors told the experts told us, my, my brother is one of the best surgeons in his area in the world. 
He is invited to Europe, South Africa, Israel, everywhere to go and carry out. And he told us, he said, listen, sir, let me tell you this. In medicine, except this child is operated upon, there's nothing that can be done. Then I remembered, God says I can do what man cannot do. I said, instead of you, my brother or anybody, operating on the head of my child, I would rather allow God to operate on them. With men, certain things are impossible. I don't know what you're going through right now. But with God, all things are possible. Some years ago here in London, I had the medical condition with my number three, four, five, six vertebrae. They said the cartilage between them and eating up. And I was having persistent neck pain. And the pain was so excruciating because all the cartilage had gone off. I don't know who ate it up. <laughs> Whether it was the size of my head or the way I slept. Or... And they said, I, I went to all the doctors you can think of. I went from general, I mean, NHS to private. And I, they said, well, there is a specialist. He's the best in the country. If this man does not have a solution, he said, that's it. And I went to this man. The man looked at me. I can never forget. His glasses was on the bridge of his nose. And he said, he called my name in a very funny way. Reverend. And I said to him, he said, he said well, from what I can see, MRI, CT scan, whatever. He said, the only thing we can do is we have to cut your neck. I said, cut it across or cut it half. Because if you cut it across, that's the end of life. He said, he said, he said we're just going to cut it down. He said, but... 50-50. He said, if we get it right, we'll help you. He said, but if you don't get it right, you'll be twitching all the days of your life. So you can imagine me preaching to that. <laughs> now, that is what man cannot do. That is what man cannot do. The man had told me, I went to the United States. One of my sons said, come over. So I went. They took me. Same thing. So I had to get to a final bus stop. But even then, because God had told me that what man cannot do, he is able to do. Second thing God told me, not only can I do what my word says I'm able to do, I'm also able to do what man cannot do. Number three, he said again to me, another thing I want to tell you that I'm able to do is this. He said, I'm able to do today whatever I've done before. So what has he done before? Many times when you and I have needs in our lives, all you need to do is go to the record of the Bible to see whether people have gone through the same thing you are going through. Because many people think, oh, nobody knows the trouble I see. Nobody knows my... Look, there is nothing you are going through that people in this world have never gone through because there's nothing new under the sun. Barrenness, lack of job, you're under a course... You have difficulty, you, your father died, you don't have money to pay school fees. Whatever it is, there is no temptation that is taking you, First Corinthians 10, 13. But such as is common to man, you lost your job. God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able to bear? With every temptation, he will do what? Make a way of escape. So God says, I can do, I can repeat again today. I want to challenge you. You go on YouTube. There is a man there called Meltari. M-E-L-T-A-R-I. This is about a situation that happened so many years ago. You know, we heard about Peter walking on water. Meltari and his people in Indonesia. It is called, the book is called Like a Mighty Wind. Revival in Indonesia. They literally walked on the water. The man gave the testimony and the story of how they walked on the water. So, whatever God has done before, has he raised the day before? Oh, yes. He can do that again. He is the same yesterday, today, forevermore. 
So God is not just able to do what his word says he's able to do. He is not just able to do as it were what man cannot do. He can do today what he did yesterday. The axe head swam. There are testimonies all over the places about God repeating today what he has done yesterday so that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word shall be established. Number four, God again told me, he said, I'm able to do for you what I've done for any other person because I'm not partial. I'm not partial. You see, because at times, some people, you, you, it brings faith when you know God has done something for somebody before. That's why it's good to listen to testimonies. Psalm 119 verse 24 says, Thy testimonies, O Lord, are my delight and counsel us. When you hear a good testimony about a situation you are in, has he ever healed people before? Of course, whatever God has done for somebody can do that. Look, Romans chapter 2 verse 11, it says, For God is no respecter of persons. Romans chapter 10 verse 12, it says, There is no difference between the Jews and the, the Jews and the Greeks, for the same Lord overall is written to all that call upon his name. So whatever God has done for someone else, that's why I never envy or jealous of anybody. I mean, the difference between you and I is time. If God has ever given you a car, well, my own is on the way. He's given you a house, my own is on the way. When my own time comes and my tongue comes, it will not evade me. So it's important for you to have things in perspective. No need to be, a, somebody's getting married so you become sick because of that. Don't worry. Your own delivery is coming. It only has to be take some special moments. Because the package is being carefully put together. You know, we are different in terms of our being sophisticated. For some people, the manufacturing of their husband takes longer. The manufacturing of a prophet takes longer than the manufacturing of another child. Penina was giving back to children in first, in first summer, like a pig giving back to many children. But Hannah did not give back like children. He just gave back to one, Samuel. And that one was more powerful than all the nine children of Penina. So if you are giving back to a prophet, you don't give back to children like you are giving back to pigs or rabbits or rats or any of those things that are given back to him in so many numbers. So God says, I can do for you whatever I've done for someone else. Second Chronicles 19 verse 7. See, there are three things you don't find with God. You don't find receiving of bribe. You don't find iniquity. And you don't find respect of persons. Ephesians 6 9 says, Neither is God a respect of persons. Colossians 3 25, God is no respect of persons. For the same Lord overall is given to all that call upon his name. Then number five, is it number five? Number five. Then God said to me, I'm able to do whatever I have promised. He has promised. He will never fail. Psalm 89 verse 34. He said, my covenant will not break, neither will I take back the words that have proceeded out of my mouth. Matthew 5, 18, till heaven and earth pass away, not even a jot or a tittle of God's law we fail. So have this in perspective that God in his own way of oppression, God in his own, he said, I can do for you not just what I have done before, not just what I have done for somebody before, but anything I promised. December 19, 1981, I had a voice in the English language said to me, I have called you, I have chosen you, I have ordained and anointed you to take my word to the nations, emphasizing its integrity. December 19, 1981. 
That call has taken me to over 124 countries on all the six habitable continents of the world from Eloni. That is how powerful he promises. That is how powerful he promises. A promise and undertaking to do or to give something on demand. In the Bible, there are about 9,000 promises that covers every area of our lives, even the hair on our head, that cover our present, that cover our future, that cover our end, that cover our beginning. Job 8, 7, that's one of the scriptures I held on to. Growing up, it says, though your beginning was small, there is nothing with starting small. But everything is wrong with staying small. Though your beginning was small, say your latter hand should greatly increase. I will increase you more and more. Psalm 115, 14, you and your children. Psalm 102, verse 24, he said he increases people more and more until they became stronger than their enemies. So God is a God of increase. Don't worry, your business is small. Every big business started small. Today when you hear about Kentucky Fried Chicken, at what age did the man start it? At the age of 67. Not 13, not 20, not 25. Henry Ford, at the age of 40, was a motorcycle repairer. At the age of 60, he was a billionaire. Between 40 and... He said, you know, you know say, a fool of 40 is a fool forever. But even when the man was 40, he was broke. But by the time he was 60, he had made so much money. That is to let you know that the clocks of our life are not wound, are wound differently. And stop saying things that everybody is saying because they don't know God. You know the scriptures? It is able to make you wise unto salvation. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to every one of us. So God told me, I'm able to do for you as it were what I have promised. Do you have any promise of God? Hold on to it. Let me give you one more here. And God said again to me, I'm able to do whatever the scripture tells you, you can ask of me. Psalm 2 verse 8, it says, ask of me, and I will give the heathen to you for your inheritance and the utmost part of the earth for your possession. Anything God's word says you can ask, ask. Matthew 7, 7, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be open. For he that asketh, receiveth, he that seeketh, findeth, and he that knocketh, the door shall be open. God told me, he said, I'm able to do whatever my word tells you, you can ask of me. In 1 Kings chapter 3 verse 5, 2 Chronicles 1.7 God spoke to Solomon. He said, ask me whatever you want me to give you. And he asked. Not only did God give him that, but he did what? He gave him exceedingly abundantly above that. Listen carefully to me as I begin to close this message because I want you to understand the reason why I've gone down that route. Before you say yes, think twice. Before you accept that gift, think twice. Before you follow that direction, think twice. Now listen carefully to me. We have heard about the fact that God doesn't want us to lack. And then we have heard about what God's power is able to do. The fact that God doesn't want us to lack simply means you do not give up about any situation. The fact that God is able to do those things I've just analyzed simply tells you that if any of your need in any area of your life fall within those six categories, God can handle it. But remember, he's even able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think. I want you to listen to me very, very closely at this point. When it comes to receiving things from God, there is a spiritual dimension that you need to understand. 
God is in the third heavens. That is where he lives. The third heavens, that is where he lives. And it is from the third heavens that we are told that his blessings and his gifts and his provision come. John chapter 3 verse 27. A man can receive nothing except is given to him from where? From heaven. James 1.17. What does he say? James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. 1 Corinthians 4.7. Who maketh you to differ from another? What is it that you have that you did not receive? So whatever you and I need, where is it? In heavenly places. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be God who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Where? In heavenly places. Listen carefully to me. What I need is already provided for where? In heaven. But where do I need it? On the earth. Your job provided for. Your children provided for. Your promotion provided for. God knows what you have need of. Matthew 6, 8, before you ask him. He has made fantastic provision. The silver is mine. Haggai 2, 8. The gold is mine. So God has made fantastic provision in heavenly places. But where we need it for is where? On the earth. Now listen carefully to me. Well, if it is in heaven, why doesn't he just send it to the earth? Listen carefully. Between when we talk about heaven in the Bible, many people think heaven is when they look up like this. There are three heavens in the Bible. Three heavens in the Bible. That's what we call the heavens of heavens. That is where God lives. There's what we call the atmospheric heaven. That is what you see when you look up. That's the atmospheric heaven. But between the heavens of heaven and the atmospheric heaven, there is a second heaven known as the staric heavens. That is where the headquarter of the devil is. Many Christians don't understand that. John 4.22 says, you worship, you don't know what you worship. Many people don't understand that. Where God is, he says the, the heavens is the throne the earth is this full stool. But between that throne and the full stool, there is a space there. That was where God cast the devil out into when he rebelled in heaven, of heavens. It was in the heavens of heaven that the devil was with God. So when God cast him out, he cast him into the static heavens, which is the place where he lives. The devil is not in hell. Now, it was from that static heaven that he came to this earth and took the dominion God gave Adam from him by subtlety. If you are going to get things on the earth, not only does your prayer need to pass through the static heavens, but whoever is bringing the answer from God will have to pass through the same place. But this is what many Christians don't know about. What means twice? You find this account I'm talking about in the book of Daniel. What means twice? When you are praying, your prayer must be hot to pass through. That's why it says the effectual, fervent prayer. It's not just ordinary prayer that passes through that region. That region is not an easy region. So the power must have capability and body. 
to pass through that place on his way to God. Where prayer is not every prayer that is said that is heard by God. If a prayer is going to be answered by God, it has to be heard. Psalm 65 verse 2 says, All that God that heareth prayers, unto thee shall all flesh come. First, first Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 12, My eyes are over the righteous, my ear are inclined. But it is not every prayer that is said that has fire in it to penetrate through the static heavens and get to the heavens of heaven where God is listening. So when you send your prayer up, it passes through that domain. And when the answer is coming down, it passes through that domain. It may be your prayer is intercepted or your answer is intercepted. But many times when you just say your prayer, you think it's just delivered. How many letters have been posted that don't get to their destination? How many emails? I, spent about, I sent about two of them tonight. They didn't get to the destination. I sat in the office, pastor, mommy came to me and said, okay, give me the address. And while I was typing, I typed wrongly. When you pray, you can pray at me. So when you pray, there is no fire in your prayer. When you pray, half asleep and half awake. You see, that, those kind of prayer don't get anywhere. And even if it gets there, when the answer is being sent, and it is not being supported with thanksgiving, there is, let me tell you one of the names of the devil. He's called the prince of the power of the air. When I was serving the devil, there is one Yoruba god called Shago. The name of Shago in Yoruba folklore is the man with the power of the air. And when you read Ephesians, it says the devil is the prince of the power of the air. So you understand that the devil is there to resist. And you have to know how to resist him steadfastly in the faith. I want you to listen to me tonight. There's nothing wrong with your desire. But something may be wrong with your prayer. At a time, there's nothing wrong with your prayer. But you are not supporting your prayer and the answer to your prayer with the necessary infrastructure that will make it pass through. Remember Daniel in Daniel 10. The angel came and the angel said, from the first day that you prayed, your prayers were heard. He said, but when I was coming down with the answer, there was a prince that withstood me and obstructed 21 days. You see, at times when you pray, you just think, I prayed, I told God, 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 I need a husband, I told God, I need a child. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Is it under peace of God? When you pray and there is no peace, something wrong. Have you ever prayed and you cannot sleep? You prayed. Pastor laid hands on you, all your hair are falling off. But you cannot sleep. You see, the peace of God in your spirit is the register that your prayers were made the way it was supposed to be made or that the answer that is coming is supported with enough firework back up to make it pass through. 21 days, Daniel, he said from the first day you prayed. But Daniel, in the 21 days that the answer was coming, he wasn't praying again. He was thanking God. That is what you need to do. Many of you, you have listened to the prayer. It's not that the, your prayer got there. But the reply had been intercepted. Let me tell you two things here. Listen carefully to me. There are two qualities of the devil. 
There are many Christians that are not familiar. We see many people don't even know the devil. They don't know God, they don't know the devil. So there's a problem. In fact, it's more than that. They don't know God, they don't know the devil, they don't know themselves. You see, they, and so let me tell you, there are two qualities about the devil. Number one, he is very crafty. He's very crafty. He's very wily. He's very, he's very cunning. He's very subtle. When he wants to get something, he comes in a way that does not look like he wants to get anything. When he wants to stop you from prayer, he comes in a way that will not indicate that he wants to stop you from prayer. So number one is that he's very subtle. Number two is that the devil is very persistent. The only thing that can overcome the devil's opposition is your own persistence. Count it all joy when you fall into that temptation. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. He said, but let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. Your problem is not that God does want you to lack. Your problem is not that God can't do it. From the first day you prayed, your prayers were hard. Your prayers got there. But the necessary infrastructure to make it deliver is not being put in place. So let me tell you the devil's plan concerning anything and everything. Having a baby, having a job, getting healed. The first plan of the devil is to make you get nothing. That's his first plan. He wants to fight it. Whatever your desires are, whatever your plan. He wants to, his first plan is to make you get nothing. But listen to this. But when he discovers that you have made up your mind you are going to get something, you know what he now does? He now delays you. He delays you. He delays you. Now after human beings have been going through delay for a while, you know the next thing that they begin to feel? They're not thinking, I can't take this delay anymore. Then what he now does next is that he now gives you something that looks like what you originally want. That appears like what you originally want. That sounds like what you originally want. But it's just a substitute. His first plan is you get nothing. But when he sees that you are determined, what does he do? He now delays. Demonic delays. In the process of delay, you get tired. So you are not willing to settle for, please just give me something. Just give me a man. Mm. I remember I asked one woman, I said, are you married? I said, well, there's a man in the house. I asked one man, I said, are you buying? I said, there is something, there's something in my house too, something. I said, something? He said, yes, something. <laughs> now, that is someone who settled for something that looked like, seemed like, appear like, but is not the one. The devil wants to stop you from getting anything. When he discovers that you have made up your mind, he now does what? Delay you. When he sees that you have been delayed and you are tired of waiting, he now says, I get this one now. Let me tell you some of the things the devil may be saying to you right now. After he has delayed you for a long while. Delayed you for a long while. He gets you to a place where you are tired of waiting. Give me something. He now begins to say, why not take this in the place of what you originally want? He wanted to settle for something less, something else, something in the place of what you originally want. You wanted khaki, he's offering you leather. You wanted medicine, he's offering you plant biology. 
you want to be certified as an accountant, he's offering you BSc accounting. You want to be an employer, he's offering you employee status. You want to be able to, to be financially independent, he tells you there's nothing wrong with being dependent. He begins to tell you, why not this in the place of that? Or he begins to say, others have this and they are satisfied with it. Or he begins to say, if you don't take it now, others will take it all. You better take this man now. But when you are praying, that was not the kind of man you wanted. It doesn't fit. He begins to say things like this. What is the difference between this one and that one? He begins to say that. He begins to say things like, you can make with this for the time. You can make do with this for the time being. You know what he tried to do? Cheat you out of your inheritance. He's trying to cheat you from God's best. But remember God is able to do what he has done before. But you settle for less, settle for something else. And there is always a mistake that people perform in this area of their lives. People settle for less. Let me give you two testimonies to drive this point home. 1984, I knelt down in my bedroom in the lorry. I said, God, give me a brand new Mercedes-Benz car. 1984. So I started confessing, Mercedes-Benz. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Glory be to your name. Hallelujah. I was reading the book of Nahum, and I saw chariots with flaming headlights. In those days, there were just about 10 Mercedes Benz cars in the lorry. And after I've confessed for about four or five years, <laughs> some concerned people in our church came to me and said, Excuse me, sir. Because I was riding a motorcycle. Suzuki 100. OY 8405Y. <laughs> and so they came to me and said, If you are not ashamed of the motorcycle, we are ashamed on your behalf. They said to me, sir, sir, one of them is a bank manager. I said, excuse me, sir, excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir. One of us here is a bank manager with Commerce Bank who will give you a soft loan. I said, it's loan? I said, if I take loan to buy a car, I will need loan to fuel it. And there's no loan that is soft. You are going to have to pay it back with interest. He said, but it's soft loan. I said, no, 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 no. I said, I didn't ask God for a loan to buy a car. They were giving loan. You see, you need to be persistent more than him. Because you're persistent that will make you overcome. Because he's going to try to steal what God wants you to have. So I continued. Oh, thank you, Lord. Mercedes-Benz car. Thank you, Lord. From heaven. I remember one of them laughed one day and said, you expect a car to fall from <laughs> I said, you don't worry. When God, when earth connects to heaven, God will instruct whoever. And so what happened? Eventually, I felt complete. And then about a year before the message bank car came, they came to me and said, excuse me, sir. We are a committee of concerned church members. <laughs> they keep putting pressure on you. Marry anybody you can marry. Take this course. Take that one. Ha, ha, ha. Are you the only one? You are looking for born again. How many born again are really born again nowadays? And you say, no, I know the gift of heaven. I know the gift of God. Your prayers got there, but your answer have been truncated. So before you say yes, what do you do? Think twice. 
what you desire, God can grant it. What you desire, God has granted it. What you long for, God says is yours. All things are yours. Whatever God has ever given anybody is willingly given you. But if you are not careful, the devil will steal it from you. Remember, he's a thief. So they came to me and said, we are a group of concern. Church members. One of us here imported a Pojo car. Pojo 2.0. You are believing God for a Mercedes Benz. 200 between Pojo 2.0 and Mercedes Benz 200. I said, seriously? I said, listen to me. Pojo is made in France. Mercedes is made where? In Germany. I said, in case it looks like the same and sounds like the same to you, to me it does not. Anybody want to take the Pojo can take it. Take it now. They went away and said, we're trying to help him. Look at it. And the day came in November. 1991. I got home and someone called me on phone. He said, you may not know me, but God said I should take you to Western Avenue. And any car you point to, I should pay for it. Hallelujah. Glory. If Italian went for it, insist on what you want. Insist on your desire. God has made a provision with things without you desire. When you pray, believe you receive. Before the end of this year, you tell God, I'm picking my faith up. I'm keeping my courage up. I'm not settling for anything that does not look like what I desired. What I asked you from the beginning is what I'm going to hold fast to. Hold fast to what you have. And that's what will bring the manifestation. The man took me there. After riding motorcycle for that long, your hands will be like this. Then I saw a car, Mercedes Benz, red. And it was 230E. Ah! So I told God, I asked you for 200. This is 230. I said, what's 30? He said, 30 is the age of maturity. <laughs> Moses became a king at the age of 30. Jeremiah became a prophet at the age of 30. Ezekiel became a prophet at the age of 30. In Israel, in those days, when you get to the age of 30, you become a priest. 30 is the number for maturity. I said, what about the E? Is it extra? He said, because seven years I persevered. Seven years I insisted. Seven years I knew what I wanted. Seven years I was not going to throw in the towel. I drove him. The man did not just pay for the car. He also gave me money to go and wash it. So I came home, triumphant. And all my friends who have deserted me because of my cookie faith, they came back. They will come and celebrate with you. They will come and rejoice with you. When your faith delivered, they are going to come and celebrate with you and rejoice with you. Let me cut a long story short here. 1992. Another person called me again. With the same instruction. God said, I should take you to Western Avenue and any car you point to as you pay. Ah! This confusion. God? So I went to God. He said, that was the first person I told. He said, but he was giving me excuses. It was not the excuse. It was the devil. He said, so I instructed somebody else. But I did not cancel out the first order. There will be double for your trouble. There is going to be double for your trouble. There is going to be double for your trouble. The God's grace will supply that need. It will answer to that need. Don't lose it. Don't throw it in. Don't give up. He that will come, will come and will not tarry. The man took me there. I looked around. 
I point, I saw Mercedes 200 exactly the way I saw it in my dream. So that's one. He says, is that, is that all? So yes. Is that all? So yes. So I ask him, what happened? He said, don't say that, sir. I guess, sir. I mean, this is somebody I know very close to me, but it was the person who got to first. But he wouldn't move. Why would he not move? He said he doesn't even understand why. He said, I don't know. He said, I don't know. I just did not want to move. Ah. I said, now you have moved. Just give me the key. I entered my car. I suddenly ended up with two Mercedes-Benz cars. Double for my trouble. Ladies and gentlemen, I can give you testimony about testimonies. But before you say yes to something that does not fit what you originally desired, think twice. Was this what I wanted when I started out my life? Is this where I plan I'm going to end it? Is this the way I say I'm going to leave this church when I get married? Or am I going to marry behind? You know the ambition you had when you saw that girl dressed in white said, ah, on my wedding day, on my wedding day. But now, the devil is giving you khaki for letters. Don't let them hear. Don't let them know. Don't let them know. Just leave the church quietly. Was that the plan? Are you not worth celebrating? You're trying to accept something that does not fit. If it does not fit, it's not God's best for you. Have a rethink today. Open your heart to God. Let him touch you. You will never ever be the same again. Shall we rise? Lift up your hand to God and bless God and tell God what I originally want is still what I'm going to get. Go ahead and bless him. Bless him right now. What I originally want is what I'm going to get. If you, if this message fits a particular need, just put your hand on your chest and pray like you've never prayed before. Put that hand on your chest and say, yes, this message fits me. I'm not going to take anything in the place of what I originally wanted. What I want is still what I want. The devil is not going to steal it from me. I'm not going to allow the devil to steal it from me. I refuse it. Reject it right now. What you are thinking of settling for, reject it right now. There was that thing you are about to take, but that is not what you wanted. That was not where you are going. That was not what you desired from the very beginning. What you desired was different. What you desired was better. What you desired was, was superior to this one. Don't settle for this thing. This alternative. No, it does not fit. No, it does not befit. No, it is not like the kind of thing that you should settle for. There is God's provision. He wanted to have everything. He doesn't want you to lack anything. That is his mind towards you. That is his attitude towards you. Don't allow the devil to steal you blind. Don't allow him to lie to you that they are the same. They are not 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 the same. Come on. They are not. Rebuke that spirit that is trying to convince you. Rebuke that person that is putting pressure on you to take that thing. Let him know you are not taking it. Let him know you are not accepting it. Let him know that that is not what you plan for. God has a plan for your life. It's a better plan than what the devil is giving you. God has a plan for your future. It's a better plan than what the devil is offering you. Thank you for listening. We hope that you were ministered to through this message. If you have any comments on this presentation or would like to contact us, our address is 38 to 40 Parsons Meet, West Croydon, CR03SL. 
To speak to a member of our team, you can call us on 0208-688-466. Our website address is www.croydentabernacle.org.uk. Thank you and God bless.